Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. As we continue our sermon series of Ancient Vinyl, our reading today presents again from the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel of Luke is special. It has a number of distinctive features, devoting more space to the birth and infancy of Jesus than any other gospel, sharing with readers accounts of the visits of the angel Gabriel to Mary and the beloved prophecy of Zechariah. Luke establishes a God of Israel who acts in both expected and unexpected ways at the very outset of the gospel with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story of the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story of a couple getting on in years and a wife thought to be barren may sound like a familiar plot, similar to the beginning of the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, also unlikely candidates to have children. Intentionally, it seems, Luke reminds us of the story of God's relationship with God's people and places this story within the larger story of faith itself, the story of exile and faithfulness and God's promises fulfilled with a birth against all odds. Zechariah, for his part, is a priest from the hill country near Jerusalem, who only by lots is on temple duty for an offering. It is understandable that he is skeptical and questions what is to come. As such, he is rendered mute until the time of his son John's birth. When he first speaks again, Zechariah utters words of praise known as Zechariah's song, or the Benedictus in Latin. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, he sings, for he has looked favorably upon his people and redeemed them. Israel has been through wars, captivity, exile, and domination by foreign rulers. In fact, in Luke's own time, it has been crushed by the Romans. But remembering how God has proven faithful in the past, even when all hopes seem lost, builds confidence that God can be trusted in the present and the future, and how it is a God who acts in both expected and unexpected ways, including through the coming of the promised long-awaited Messiah, who also, by the way, does not act in ways that adhere to our expectations. So let us turn now and hear this beautiful song, this hymn, if you will, Zechariah's Song from Luke chapter 1, verse 68 through 79. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his child David, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, 
might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
Thank you. Friends, you may have noticed that Rev Mark is missing. It's okay, we know where he is, and he's safe, and well, he hasn't taken his own Advent journey somewhere else. He will be back. He had a minor procedure on Friday, and we look um, forward to welcoming him back next week. He, again, is on the road to recovery and is with us today, thanks to technology on the screen. So here is a sermon that he recorded earlier this week for us to enjoy at this point in our Advent journey. In the year 2000, a bookseller in England named Stuart Manley was rummaging through an old box of secondhand books when a piece of paper at the bottom of the box caught his eye. It was a bright red poster with the crown of King George VI at the top, and below the crown in bold bright letters were the words, Keep Calm and Carry On. Manley fancied the poster so much he had it framed and hung it on the wall next to the cash register in his bookshop. He later researched the origins of the poster and discovered that it was created 61 years earlier in 1939 by the British government just prior to the Blitz when German planes were flying over Great Britain every night dropping bombs on London and Liverpool. The British at the time were living in a constant state of terror. Air raid sirens screamed every night, citizens hid in basements, fires burned everywhere. The whole world expected Nazi Germany to invade Great Britain at any moment. As the cloud of fear settled over the British people, the government decided to create these keep calm and carry on motivational posters, about 2.5 million of them. The plan was to post them in public places to strengthen morale once the German invasion actually began. But as we now know, the war ended before the planned invasion could happen. The posters were never distributed, and after the war they were all destroyed except for a small handful, one of which was discovered 61 years later by Stuart Manley in a box of secondhand books. In 2005, that poster hung on a wall in Manley's bookshop, and customers began asking him where they could get a copy of it. So he eventually had the poster reproduced, and he sold thousands of copies. It became the most commercialized and merchandised British product since David Beckham. Keep calm and carry on. As cliche as it's become over the years, that phrase seems just as relevant to the bewildering times that we're living in today. Recent studies report that Americans are more afraid today than at any time in history. The pandemic, the wars in Ukraine and the Middle East, the threat of climate disaster, mass shootings, terrorism, insurrections, artificial intelligence, political unrest, it's all coming at us so fast now and so unfiltered and uninterrupted, and at such an overwhelming volume, that according to the American Psychological Association, more than three quarters of Americans today report that stress is having a negative impact on their health. And nearly one third of Americans report that on most days, they are so stressed they cannot function. 
keep calm and carry on. It's a great motivator, but more and more people these days are saying, yeah, but for how much longer? Then you throw the stress of the Christmas season into the mix and it can just be overwhelming. I read about a woman who was so stressed out from preparing for Christmas every year that she decided to add a large closet in her den. And inside the closet, behind the door, she set up a fully decorated artificial Christmas tree. And she keeps the tree decorated all year. And when the season arrives, all she has to do is open the closet door. And when the season's over, she just closes it again. That's one way to keep calm and carry on. Stress, fear, it is everywhere. I was on a call with other large church Methodist pastors around the country this last week, and one secret nobody really talks about these days is how ministry can be so stressful, more so today than ever before. And so we gather by Zoom to support and pray for each other. And in this moment of vulnerability, one pastor confessed something that resonated with everyone on the call. He said, whenever my phone buzzes from an incoming email, I feel anxious. And we all nodded. Fear, anxiety, stress. Did you know that the phrase, do not fear, or be not afraid, or do not worry, occurs at least 105 times in Scripture? It appears more frequently than any other biblical command, which says a lot about the nature of so many of our human problems. Throughout Scripture, it seems that God's greatest challenge is helping humans conquer their fears. The fear of others, of the unknown, of darkness and death, the future, the enemy. Do not be afraid. It's spoken to Zechariah in the story that precedes his song, which we've just heard read. In that story, Zechariah is spooked by this angel while he's lighting incense in the inner sanctuary of the temple. Don't be afraid. Zechariah is a priest, and throughout the year he performs sacred duties in his local village. But once a year he travels to Jerusalem along with all the other priests to serve in the temple. The priests all do it every year, but this year is different for Zechariah because this year Zechariah is the one priest who's been chosen to crawl into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred room in the temple, to light incense, to pray for the Jewish people, and then to crawl back out and bless the congregation. This was a big deal because it was believed that the Holy of Holies was where God's presence dwelled. People, even priests, were afraid to get that close to God. I mean, who knows what might happen in there. In fact, 2,000 years later, not much has changed, honestly. I'll invite someone to church and they'll say, it's been so long since I've been to church, I'm, a, I'm sure the walls would just fall down if I actually went. And crawling into the Holy of Holies was something like that. Anything could happen, which is why, according to legend, whenever a priest crawled in to perform this sacred ritual, the other priests would tie a rope around his ankle so that if God struck him dead while he was in there, they could at least pull him back out. Zechariah crawls into the Holy of Holies, holding his breath, his heart beating so fast it probably felt like it might explode. It's dark, it's eerily quiet. 
And as he approaches the altar, a sketchy angel named Gabriel tiptoes up behind him without making a sound. This detail is not in the story, actually, but in my mind, that prankster Gabriel sneaks up behind Zechariah in the wilderness, uh, the darkness, and taps him on the shoulder and says, Boo. Zechariah must have come completely unglued in that moment because the first thing Gabriel says to Zechariah after he finally stops laughing at the old priest is that familiar command. Do not be afraid. Before Zechariah even knows what's just happened, Gabriel says to him, Your wife, Elizabeth, will conceive and bear a son, and you will name the baby John. And now it's Zechariah who's laughing. That's impossible, he says. We just joined AARP, Gabe. That ship sailed long ago. And that's when Gabriel says, Well, the Lord says it's going to happen, but because you doubt the Lord... You will not speak again until the baby's born. And just like that, Zechariah is unable to speak, which is a major problem for a priest. Every preacher literally has nightmares about being unable to speak in front of their congregation. I'll just tell you, it's the worst. And now, here's Zechariah with a, a packed house in the temple and all these people waiting for him to crawl out of the Holy of Holies and bless them. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, his one big shot, and he's literally tongue-tied. For nine months, Zechariah says nothing, not a word. This is probably for the best, because as we all know, when your wife is pregnant, there are times when it's just best to keep your mouth shut and do what you're told. Elizabeth finally gives birth. It's a boy, just as the angel had promised. So they name him John. John will be the cousin of Jesus. John will grow up to be the prophet who prepares the world for the good news of Jesus. He'll be known as John the Baptist or baptizer. After John's birth, Zechariah finally gets his voice back. And the first words out of his mouth or pure poetry. Babies make poets out of all of us, but Zechariah's poem is so good, it's recorded in our Bible in the form of a song. It's been sung by Christians for 2,000 years. It's called the Benedictus, from the Latin word for the first word in his song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people. Zechariah holds his baby in his arms and sings about a long-awaited Savior who is finally coming to set the world right. And that world maybe isn't all that different from our own. According to his song and his world, like ours today, is marked by the fear of three powers. Enemies, the hands of hatred, and the shadow of death. In his song, these are pretty dark things. In Zechariah's world, these words described the Roman military occupation, the brutality of its soldiers, generations of Jewish humiliation, the constant feeling that 
this growing hostility between the Jews and their Roman occupiers had, had reached a boiling point that things might just blow up at any moment. In that world, life was so fragile and peace was so fleeting. The, the, the future seemed so tenuous. It felt like it, it could all be lost in a heartbeat. Does that ever sound familiar sometimes? Except Zechariah sings about the dawning of a new day. A Savior is coming, and Zechariah's son will be the prophet who prepares the people for that Savior. I want you to hear what this prophet's job description will be. Zechariah sings about it. We all, we all remember that, what would Jesus do bracelet? It was so catchy because we all want to be like Jesus. But in the season of Advent, maybe we're actually called to do what John was created to do. Listen to these words and imagine that they were meant to describe not just John's mission, but ours in our own world of fear. Zechariah says, You will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Did you hear these key words? Forgiveness, tender mercy, and the way of peace. John would one day grow up and preach about these things to prepare the world for Jesus. Forgiveness, tender mercy, the way of peace. They're the antidote to the three powers of fear that Zechariah names earlier in his song. Enemies, the hands of hatred, and the shadow of death. What about you? This Advent, will you commit yourself to forgiveness? In a world of enemies, only God's forgiveness will save us. In the Greek, forgiveness, that word, it simply means release or deliverance. Not just from those who've hurt us, but most crucially, for ourselves. Forgiveness is first and foremost the work of releasing ourselves, delivering ourselves, emancipating ourselves from the story that someone else has somehow made our truth. Whenever our story and our truth is defined by some injury, some grievance, some trauma, it's time to release ourselves from it by choosing to live a better story, an unencumbered story. Forgiveness simply breaks the spell that we're living under. This Advent, will you commit yourself to tender mercy? In a world gripped by the hands of hate, as he describes it, only God's tender mercy will save us. In the Greek, tender mercy simply means compassion. But compassion isn't a feeling that actually comes from the heart, as we assume. 
Jews and early Christians believed compassion came not from the heart, but from the stomach or the gut. The Greek word for tender mercy here is splankna. It literally means entrails. Maybe that means we don't have to feel all warm and gushy in our heart to overcome hate. Maybe we just have to follow our God and do what's right, regardless of how it makes us feel. Maybe it means we simply no longer have to return hate for hate. Tender mercy and compassion, it releases us from the back and forth, tit for tat transactionalism of hatred. Will you, this Advent, commit yourself to the way of peace? In a world living in the, quote, shadow of death, as he describes, only God's way of peace will save us. Peace isn't simply the absence of conflict. Peace is shalom. Shalom means wholeness or wellness. And well-being, wellness, is the opposite of dis-ease and death. The way of peace always works for the well-being of others. Even our enemies. Even those Romans. Because our well-being is always strangely tied up in the fate of our enemies. Forgiveness, tender mercy, the way of peace. These save us from a world that fears enemies and the hands of hatred and the shadow of death. It would one day be John's mission but it's ours today. And it's such hard, slow work that we might wonder, how do we even know if it's working? When, as Zechariah sings, we're all still operating pretty much in the dark. Anne Lamott wrote about taking her two-year-old son to Lake Tahoe, where they stayed in a condominium by the lake. And because of all the gambling establishments there, the, the rooms in the condo had blinds on the windows so they could block out the daylight which meant you could gamble all night and sleep in. One day she put the toddler to sleep in his pack-and-play in a completely darkened room, and then she went to do some writing in the next room. And moments later, she heard the toddler knocking on the door from the inside, and she got up to put him back to bed. And then every parent's nightmare, she discovered that the door was locked from the inside. Somehow, her son had managed to push the lock button on the doorknob. And he was calling to her, and she was saying, just jiggle the doorknob, honey. But it became clear to him that his mother couldn't open the door. And then panic set, and he began to cry. Lamont, she called the rental agency, the manager. She left frantic messages on answering machines. She tried to comfort her terrified son, but to no avail. Finally... She did the only thing she could think of. She lay down on the floor and slid her fingers under the door. And she told him over and over to do the same, to bend over and to find her fingers. And somehow he did. And he quieted down. They stayed like that for a long time, she said, until help finally arrived. A frightened toddler holding his mother's fingers in the dark, feeling 
her presence and love. Sometimes we're like that two-year-old in the dark, and we need to be reminded that we can stick with it a little longer and not give up. We can keep calm and carry on in the dark times because help is on the way. Our takeaways for today in the presence of enemies, only forgiveness can save us. In a world gripped by the hands of hatred, only tender mercy can save us. In the shadow of death, only God's way of peace can save us. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.